You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. We've done it again. It's a Tuesday, and you and I have talked for hours, and we've decided, you know, we might, maybe we should do a podcast. That'd be good. It'd be fun to do this again. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Happy Tuesday. On the YouTube main channel is the GR Corolla, Focus RS, and Kona N mm-hmm. now playing. We hope you've seen it. Yes. And if you haven't, we encourage you to watch it if you have interest. It's, it's been it's had, had a lot of great response. It's really, yeah. really cool. I love how it's playing. It's playing very well. Uh, I would also ask one little tiny, little tiny thing that those of you listening to the podcast are probably going to be good about. People are clearly commenting after looking at the thumbnail and deciding that they know how the comparison is going to go or which cars we brought for why. Mm. We spend like minutes at the beginning explaining why we brought the cars we did. There's a whole discussion going on around the Corolla, and it's actually kind of fun, and we hope you'll watch. There's a lot more content coming with the GR86 as well. Yes. Two more full, complete pieces, actually. Big old comparison that, that we've coming with the 86. We have our North Trip. That is just now going into yes. edit that we shot. We're about to go actually take our South trip with our cars of the past. That series is ongoing. We've got series ongoing in spite of the fact that the <laughs> stuff we're shooting now is stuff for season 12, which isn't going to be first quarter. It's going to be second quarter of 2023. We are busy. It is crazy fun. Guess what? We talk cars. Your car's dashboard is on the front line in the battle against the sun, and it can really deteriorate over time due to UV damage. A custom Covercraft dash mat protects your dash and keeps it looking new, as well as complementing your interior. These dash mats are available in a wide variety of fabric styles and colors. You can even customize with embroidery or logo. You could put an Everyday Driver logo on it if you wanted. You can make it completely unique to you and your car. Can we get an 86 with the Everyday Driver logo in the corner, maybe intertwine them? you got to work on that, Paul. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, just remember, use the code EVERYDAY22 to get a 10% discount and it ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page at everydaydriver.com or navigate directly to covercraft.com for high-quality covers, sunscreens, and dash mats to keep your car protected and looking its best. We have an excellent Topic Tuesday for today. It's a bit of a debate, mm-hmm. but it's also topical. All of the above. From Jason in Colorado, who asks, what comes next after Alphas? That's a new question. That is. <laughs> Especially <laughs> someone who's had Four of them. Yes. You've, well, you, we've all heard the joke that Jeremy Clarkson posed that many of us, many people want to stand by, and that is you can't be a real car enthusiast unless you've owned an Alfa Romeo. Now, that can be debated as to whether or not that's true, but Jason has defended himself by owning four. He is a true car enthusiast because he's Clearly. owned four. Yes. Well, first was a 2017 Julia TI, then a 2015 4C, which was modified to solve the understeer issues. So glad that happened. Mm-hmm. He now has a 2021 Julia Quadrifoglio. Such a great car. I just have to stop for a second. Such a great It really car. is. <laughs> the really Quadrifoglio is. is my favorite sedan right now, I think. He's also got a 1971 1750 GTV. Okay. Also a cool car. Very cool, yes. Beautiful. Jason has thoroughly loved his Alphas. They've all been reliable. Okay. And are full of character. All of the above is true. Well, the, the character part is true no matter what. The fact that they're all reliable, I'd like us all to just kind of stop for a minute and just take that in. That's, That's pretty impressive. Amazing. That's, That's good. like a reliable Maserati. That's very good, yeah. It was reliable while I had it. It was very reliable while you had it. And, and that GTV you got is very similar to a car a buddy of mine had in high school, and we all wondered why he drove it. He drove it because his dad worked at the Alpha dealer, but it was so ah. cool. It didn't run all the time. I'm glad but his dad does, worked at the Alpha dealer. But his dad worked at the Alpha right. dealer, so it made it work out. 
Well, Jason has a history of wanting to change cars after three or four years, even though he's not in the biggest hurry, but he wants a change. And the fact that you wrote to us means Mm -hmm. you're already shopping. Yes, it does. The question is, what else has the character of an alpha? Mm. If Jason has $100,000 to $130,000 to spend on one or more cars, what's the next step? That's Wow. Okay. All right. This was unexpected. Some additional details. He says Porsche styling tends to bore him. <laughs> so what we're saying is fighting words. He does not equate <laughs> Porsche to the character of an alpha. He does not. He clearly. clearly. He lives in Colorado. High altitude, he says, tends to sap naturally aspirated performance. You're right. Yes. He's inherited his dad's Tacoma and he'll never sell it for sentimental reasons. It's fine. As well as winter driving. Good. Mm-hmm. So the truck is salt. That's the thing. The truck off roader prop salt. Yeah, winter yep, drive all done. that stuff. Yep, great. Now Jason has thought about the new Lotus Amira. Mm-hmm. Excellent or some of the Mercedes-engined Aston Vantages. He likes cars that are head-turners. Like it, okay. And this is where he leaves us. Uh-huh. That's as much information as we have to go on, yeah. and the big question is, what comes next? So you can see it's a bit of Topic Tuesday, it's a yeah. bit of a debate, because yeah. he's asking what's next, but he's also really asking, if he does get a next... What will it be? What car has an, as much character as yeah, an where's alpha? the character come from? And he's got, he's got good budget to spend. And I think that's fascinating that you have had four alphas. And also the fact that three of the four, you realize, are modern cars. Uh, yeah, it, true. It, we've, we've had people write in before that have had multiple alpha males. And it's always, I've had a string of old ones. True. This is three from Jason. And, and what I also like is the fact you had that 2017 and you liked the Julia enough that you circled back to get the Quadrifoglio, which is well worth it. So you've liked the modern cars. So that means you're not shopping for a classic. That's the thing I think is interesting here. It's not like, I've had a lot of classic alphas. I like another classic something. True. We're trying true. to find a modern car with alpha character, which is interesting. It doesn't I mean, suppose. and I've got some old ones on my list, but what I think is interesting is the fact that we're not talking about, because we get these, these emails as well, where it's like, I don't like any car past the year 2000. We've gotten those emails because cars yeah, have just fair. lost character and I don't like them. Sure. He has owned modern things and is talking about how these modern cars have character, which is something that you and I talk about and lots of automotive journalists talk about, that so many modern cars lack character because they've gotten so refined mm-hmm. that they're mm-hmm. very capable, but they're not that interesting. And he's had interesting modern cars. Well, that's just it. I mean, why does the internet turn up their nose at any car that is less than a supercar? Mm. You know, the GR86, it just, when we're talking about Ferraris and McLarens, it just, it doesn't matter. You can't, I cannot extol the virtues of it and say it's actually still fun. And and like you said, when you see somebody driving a McLaren, a young Uh person, like in high school, driving their dad's McLaren, how do you convince them? That Golf R's are fun and GR86's are fun True. and all that stuff. True, yeah. I, it's very hard. So that's why I turn to some of the more classic cars. Sure, Because sure. you have had modern cars and that Quadrifoglio should stick around for a while. I agree. I agree. I almost see this as adding, I suppose. I don't know if that changes your budget equation yeah, and if I'm you not go sure. ahead and add something. He or... hasn't been clear if he's getting rid of stuff. I mean, uh, theoretically, it suggests that he is, but we're not sure what. And I it suppose. also suggests that the TI is gone. He had a 4C. I don't... He, he it sounds like the way I read this, the TI was first. He got rid of it. He got the 4C. He got rid of it. Now he has the Quadrifoglio and the old one. So let's hope that the Quadrifoglio can stay. I definitely think it should stay. I don't know what GTVs are currently worth, but I don't think those two cars sold add together to $130,000 uh, to make appears, a budget. It I appears the like stuff staying, yeah. And add because he's looking for cars with character, and that's just it. What 
comprises character? Is it mm. shortcomings? Is it because mm. it doesn't do really the thing I want and I live with it anyway? Boy, does that have character. <laughs> Man, does that have personality because it's so compromised. Some people would define that differently, but character is <laughs> what we'll go with, yes. My question to all of us is when will car companies fully realize they'll still need to build these kinds of cars mm. with character? Mm. Dirty it up, too. Or have all the electric offerings. I maintain this. I've beat this drum for years. Yeah, yeah. The drum is, I think it's a giant kick drum now. Yeah. <laughs> all the electrics, the SUVs and the people movers, and some four-cylinder, mid-engine, sure. cool stick shift, gas-powered, no safety anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minimal safety stuff. <laughs> It'll have some, but yes. Thin A pillars, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And that's the fun car over here. The car for the driving enthusiast, the car for the person that wants to drive. Yeah. Can they still make those at the same I hope so. Well, let's dive in. I, initially, I was thinking, let's divide that up into multiple cars. But then I realized, Jason, I'm shopping from, from me. Mm. And in design school, you are taught that even though through school, you are the, your, your own client. The projects you're sure, doing, sure. the class yeah, yeah. assignments you're yeah. doing, that's for you. You're the ultimate person deciding on what design you went with mm-hmm. and, and seeing it through to the end. But when you get to be a professional, your services are for other people. You're not designing for yourself. Sure, sure. You're doing it for others, people who have hired you in any profession, graphic design, whatever that is. Your you're photography, you're, you're doing it for their request. And so I feel like you're asking for maybe just one car. Mm. maybe multiple. Mm. And we could divide that up because I thought, oh, GR Corolla and get a Cayman R and fill up the garage <laughs> with cars. That's what Paul wants. Sure, sure. Okay. First of all, let's talk about Italian character. Uh-huh. I've got, I've got some of this on here too. I went all over the place. I'm, I have a long list of cars because I think all of these are worth sampling, some Italian, some not. But hopefully it gets your mind thinking, Jason. So let's start out with Ferrari 308. Yeah. You can buy yeah, one yeah. for 130 grand. Real nice one. Yeah, true, true. Sweet car, lots of character. Ferrari 360 Modena. That's right on the cusp of modernity and mm-hmm. kind of vintage. That's on my list for but that exact cool. same Is reason. it really? Well, it's on my list because here's the thing I'm thinking is what's the most modern, and, and you could go broad with this, what's the most modern Ferrari he can buy with a gated stick shift? Mm-hmm. That's the key yeah. thing that adds a lot of character to Ferraris. That is, uh, it's, it's like BMW's old perfect hydraulic steering. Yeah. BMW yeah. left that to go electric. Now, what's their thing now? BMW and here apparently. we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ferrari really did lose some of their magic when they left that gated six-speed. Yeah. So what's the most modern and to you af- something you can afford, because I know they're still talking a lot of money, but modern, affordable, gated six-speed Ferrari that has all kinds of character. That is all the Ferrari character in one car. How about a gated manual V12 in the 550 Marinello? If you can get one, yeah. The problem is they're a lot more money than 130 grand now. They used to be like 110, $120,000. Not a, too long stick ago. Stick a gum on a Ferrari t-shirt. We'll give you that car. Yeah. And the last Ferrari on my list is a Dino. I think oh. I think those are just cool. Yeah, they've gone up a lot. Though. They've, they've gone up a lot. Those cars were like 45 grand and nobody cared. <laughs> I know. And now a nice one's like a quarter million. I know. By the way, just heads up, same car. <laughs> the car didn't suddenly get better overnight. Nothing oh, it got, you know what? The Dino has always been awesome. No, same. It's always been a $45,000 one. Same as the $250,000 one. Just like 10 years goes by. I agree. We've got the Italian stuff out of the way so far. Well, Maserati's on my list, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get into things that have character. And TVR came to mind. Oh, wow. TVR. Any TVR. Yeah. And pay less than your budget. 
TVRs are rare. You like head turners. Car enthusiasts know what they are. Mm. Non-car enthusiasts will strike up a conversation with you. They're a few notches better than kit cars. Yes. Right. And they're ridiculously hard to find here. Yeah. But how interesting. Yes, completely. Yeah. I think many of them will drive with lots of personality, lots of shortcomings, and lots of character. Yeah, for sure. But if we're going turbo... Because you live in the mountains and you want rare and head turning and uh, it's not quite modern, but I'll just say it. Renault R5 Turbo. Oh, wow. Okay. You'd be the man. Yeah. Renault R5 Turbo. How cool are those? You see one of those and people just freak out of their minds. Because what a recipe. Mm -hmm. Moving on to Panteras and Caterhams. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, true, true. All right. <laughs> Launch Stratuses. But the pro- those are like half a million now, aren't they? Yeah, if you can find one. If yeah. you can find one. And can you fit? Yeah. That is on the list of cars that I would love to drive and have looked in the cabin many times. Our friends at Grio's Garage have got one. Looked in the cabin many times and realized while standing in the door frame, no, I'm not getting it. You'll never get me out. But your helmet fits in the door. My helmet fits in the door. My head doesn't fit in the car. <laughs> a separate thing. Moving on to the British... Marks, since I brought up TVR, I thought of the E-Type. thought that could be a consideration. It has yeah. lots of character. Lots of character. It's also a seriously old car it's, now. It's and, very old. Yeah. And if we're talking really old ones, I thought of XKSS replicas and Jaguar C-Types, Ooh. trying to keep the cost Ooh. down. But that did bring up replicas. And since you think Porsche styling is boring, how about all the non-traditional Porsches? Mm. 356s, 550 Spider replicas. And 914s. It's like yeah. the original Cayman, only lighter yeah. and smaller and loads of characters. They're, they're much better than people think they are. That's the thing they about really the 914, are. yeah. But if we're throwing all that out, I think there is a car that is unique and lots of character and still modern. You can get it with a lot of power. Sorry, it's naturally aspirated, but I think the amount of power will overcome any fears you might have. Okay. A BMW Z8 Roadster. Oh, wow. Modern. man. You can, can get them with manuals. Can you get them for that cost, though? That's the problem. I was wondering. They yeah. used to be down around they, there. They were unloved for a long time, I and know. then it turned. Yeah. So, if you want to spend more, I think you should look <laughs> seriously at Z8s, because <laughs> that, to me, is sort of the best of that era. It's got that 400-horsepower V8 in it, the one that everybody loves in the yeah. E39. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got, you, like I said, you can find them with manuals. The Alp, Alpina versions had, I think they were just automatics. I don't know if Alpina ever had the six-speed manual versions. Maybe maybe they did. But I just a straight-up BMW Z8 Roadster. You see one of those and you go, oh, yeah. The beautiful classic shapes mm. of vintage BMW in a modern car with a lot of horsepower, traditional V8 manual, their value is going up, I feel like. Mm. So it's not mm. a... A bad investment. It's an investment. It's scary, <laughs> but it's still drivable. Sure. Yeah, okay. It's still a car that I think will be beloved by enthusiasts. The older those get, but it's still got a modern thing going on, even though it's retro and vintage all at the same time, but it's just classy and cool. Mm. Z8, you've not indicated you're doing any track driving with this. You, that's not what they're there for, but I could see you tooling around in a Z8 Roadster. Those are interesting to me. Very cool. I've got a few here that, that 
cover all the gamut. Some of them will spend all your budget. Some won't. Again, I, I brought up Ferraris with stick shift. I think whatever you can get for your budget there, there's a lot of personality there. But that's probably the most expensive thing. Well, okay, there's one other one that's in your full <laughs> budget. But everything else is actually cheaper. Okay, okay. So the other one that is your full budget is – now, they're, they're hard to find. They're really hard to find in manual. I think – I'm pretty sure there's some manuals out there, but it's going to be a, a, a real find. The Aston Martin Vantage V12. Oh, ooh! Those were so cool. Those are oh. Everything about the fun V12 that Aston Martin was baking at the time, or, or putting in their cars at the time, in the smaller Vantage package, which I far preferred over the bigger cars. The fact that they actually made it fit, yes. So the amazing. Aston Martin V12 Vantage. Oh, that's good. Is a really interesting car. Now, most of the ones I find are are coming in as automatics, which is not as interesting. Can you find one in a manual? I think they're, they, I they, saw they, they're a few out with there. Manuals. They're out there. It's yeah. just that's going to be really hard. And, and is it because it's manual? Is it now out of your budget? That's something you'd have to dig into. But I do really like those. So that's one of them. That's a special car. I've got I mean, part of the chase of finding one just adds to the character of the yeah, car. The I fact agree. that you've landed on one and you finally got it and you manage to buy it. It's mm-hmm. huge. I Look, I'm the Lotus guy. Lotus has a lot of its own personality. I love that you thought about the Amira. But hang on. While we're talking Lotus, what other ones can you get for your budget? I'll give you two. Get yourself, not even half your budget, get yourself a supercharged 2008 and newer Lotus Elise. Good. The factory supercharged version. That's also the refresh. The interior gets a refresh. It's kind of the, the version of the Elise that if I didn't have mine, that's the one I'd chase. Yeah. Now, the problem is the good ones are fifty grand and up now. They they didn't used to be, but well, they are now. Your car skyrocketed. My car is probably in the low 40s, which is I've got really? kind of a high mile early Elise, and it's probably still worth that, which is crazy to me. Amazing. Which is awesome. It's, of course, nothing to do with the reason I bought the car. I'm going to keep driving it, keep owning it. But <laughs> yeah, hey, guess what? It's gone up. So there's that. But the supercharged 08 and up Elise is find a really nice one and drive it like crazy and never think twice about it. Th- those are so good. If that doesn't have enough character, and I think it will have plenty because they're so small, it's going to be so much more raw than you than you had in your Alpha 4C. Yeah, yeah. That is a car that, I mean, the Alpha is definitely more daily usable, but the Elise has a ton more character than the 4C does. The manual helps. It's true. So like that, that. that 2008 and up supercharge is good. But I also thought about this. What about one of the last versions of the Lotus Esprit? From the 2000s. The Turbo V8. Get that. Oh. Because they, that, that literally is in a category of they don't make them like this anymore. Those are not 100 grand. I don't remember what they are. I they're, think they're maybe 60, 70 yeah, at this they're, point. That's the thing. The nicest one on the planet is your whole budget. I don't think you're going to spend that much because nobody really wants them. And they're, but they're actually not that easy to find either. Huh. Classic shape. Yeah. It's, it, this is this is weird, but the late model Esprits happen to be one of those shapes that I think that everyone loves. Car enthusiasts love it. People that don't know what cars are, are like that's a cool looking car. Everybody just yeah. It's it's got. I know it sounds strange. It's got an inviting shape about it. That's good. It doesn't alienate anybody. It's just like that's a cool car. I like so that. a late Lotus Esprit, and then the last one I want to mention. It it has character. Because it is from a bygone era, and they will never make a car like this again. But you could argue that it is maybe too polished compared to some of the other things I've talked about. Morgan three-wheeler? No. (laughs) Good one, though. I mean, that turns heads. Get a first-gen Acura NSX. Oh, that's, yeah, those... The prices on those have gone They've gone crazy. way, way up. They've gone way, way up. But you have the budget to get one. Get a really nice Acura NSX. 
And that is yeah, that is pinnacle of 90s Japanese cars. Now, that, that is the opposite from a character perspective of a Leda Spree or a Ferrari of the 90s. It's the opposite end of character from that. But yet, it, that is a car that is full of driving involvement. It's full of a precision that is, that is just engaging and inviting. And you drive it and you just think, this is a great place to be. It's not the fastest, best. It's not. But come on. A first-gen NSX, I think you'd love that. Okay, you've got choices here. Oh, yeah. Oh, I should throw in an aerial nomad in case you just want to go off the reservation and go you, nuts. You live in Colorado. Get a custom painted helmet. Yes. Ooh, I like the nomad better than the aerial. You the can be the guy ones. that is off-roading at twice the speed of everybody else. The <laughs> wheels just bouncing. And then I've also seen, in fact, the, the Grand Tour Top Gear guys did it. When you, when you drive that on the road, they become hysterical. Yeah. Because they've got so much body roll and you can do drifts and stuff. It, that, they're very funny. Head turning. Let us know what you decide, Jason. When you want to wash your car but you're short on time, Griot's has two new ideas for fast and easy washing in your garage or driveway without even having to rinse. Try the rinseless wash and wax kit or the waterless PFM spray-on car wash kit from Griot's Garage. They're both ideal if the weather has gotten colder outside or you're an apartment dweller or if you live in an area where hose and bucket washing is restricted or inconvenient. You can get a perfect wash indoors or out in a quarter of the time it takes to wash a car normally. These kits are a no-hassle way to keep your car looking really sharp Remember, Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all their liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order just for our audience. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Our main car debate comes from Christopher S. in Washington, D.C., writes to us about finances, self-identity, and wow. the joy of driving. Mm -hmm. He's got a life conundrum about which vehicle he should buy, and he's got a question to the community at large about finances and the joy of driving, everything I've mentioned here. He's pretty much, he didn't say it, but he pretty much says, is it okay if I throw my money down the hole of cars? Are we all okay you're with that? Right. And if you're listening to this podcast, yes. yes, we are all okay with that, yes. Christopher lives in D.C. metro area, which has, he says, one of the highest costs of living in the U.S. Jeez. He's secured a meaningful so job, he says, makes 110 a year, but functionally he's making 55000 He's got the typical high rental costs and taxes and health care, but the last intern of finance resigned before he could offer a permanent position. <laughs> I love how much that term is morphing and changing. I do too. We've had the minister of finance to be... We've had, of course, the Minister of Finance of all kind of variants, but so this is the intern of finance who left the position. That's so funny. Well, Christopher's time and money are back to being his own. His work requires him to commute into the city, and he's doing work that matters to him, so leaving isn't in the cards. He's tried to live reasonably close to work with a maximum of a one-hour commute time one way. Okay. But he says that commute time, he says, because the cost of rent... He says it keeps him between 45 and 60 minutes in a car or 22 to 38 minutes on his bike. He does ride motorcycles and he does that a lot, but he's really asking for a car, yeah, I yeah. think. I feel like, Christopher, you're riding a bike where you've described to us and you love it, but I feel like that has become out of more necessity. I, I know you love it, yeah. but it's it's really a bit of both there. He gets into a description later where he talks about that he has this, this Yamaha and he's considering maybe getting another Ducati down the line, but... Biking has become a thing he has to do, not a thing he does for fun. I agree with you. There's definitely that tone here. And he does some backcountry every now and then. And he, he likes bikes, but it's not necessarily right for how he dailies. Here's Christopher's question to the community. How much should you invest in a depreciating asset? 
Oh, you mean cars? All cars. <laughs> all your money. I'm here to spend all your money. That might be fun and required for life in the U.S., but must be balanced against all the other things money mm. is required for. Housing, yeah. healthcare, retirement, food, travel, all that stuff. We struggle with this. Yes. N- nobody wants to say this out loud, Christopher, and you did. <laughs> None of us want to talk about this because... <laughs> That's the have tos. That's uh-huh. the uh, yeah. life. You said it in the GT four RS piece. We talked about the GT cars. <laughs> That's right. You, you you were talking about food, water, shelter, GT four RS. I mean, this is the thing. It's and, and and we even debated. You I mean, you include. I I made fun of you because you included shelter on the list, and I was like, you could live in the car. Could sleep in the car. Yeah. Get a little stanky, but it would yes. You know. But it's still GT four RS. It's so, true. You know. And then eventually, well, sorry, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher owns a twenty ten Mazda Speed three currently for sale and an 06 Acura TL manual. Mm. And he says while he enjoys both, he doesn't have the parking space at any place he rents or will rent in the future. He bought the Mazda after a long line of Civics. Five Civics. Five Five Civics. Including an 89 Civic SI and a modified 91 CRX SI. He says the Mazda's been great, quick, and roomy. He says he all but lived out of the car in training for two years. We're not sure what he did, but he says it's loud and uncomfortable now on the highway. And then he picked up the TL from a coworker. He found out it was manual, so he just had to have it. Yep. So this has become his daily, and it's quieter and much more comfortable. And the Mazda is for sale now because it's just not fun for him anymore. Mm-hmm. 155,000 miles, never tracked, and he dailies that Acura. And as Todd said, he's got a 2014 Yamaha Super Tener and commutes on it every day, every dry day and more than 45 degree day. Saves him a ton of money, and it's easier for commuting and free parking at work and passes at work. So, but but you're right. I mean, he lists all the reasons he commutes on the bike. It's not like I do it because I love to be on the bike every day. He does it because mm-hmm. it helps him with his commute, which isn't a love thing. Which brings us back around to he commutes in the TL, which he likes because it's manual, but it's old too. I mean, this we definitely need a better commute car. What should Christopher do? How much should he commit to driving joy when he'll have to use it to commute on bad days? He's being forced into a one-car solution because of parking, but he says his main trips for the car is commuting in traffic with monthly drives down to see his folks, and the the trip can take anywhere from four to eight hours depending on traffic on I-95 and 64, but he'd like to take advantage of fun roads to the west of him and north, Mm. but that's one weekend a month at best. Sure, sure. But the fun of a quick car has never died inside him. He says, I, I need to hit the perfect apex and I need to super cruise on the super slab. Yeah, this is hard. Okay, yeah. Christopher yearns for and lusts after reliable, small, tight handling, fun, happy Asian cars. At which point we're all seeing a Miata. He said, hang on, hang on. I have driven it. I have wanted a Miata. He said, I'd love to have an ND2 soft top in soul red. And he wants a, a K truck, one of the tiny little K trucks that really aren't trucks. They're like trucklets. He said he, he's fascinated by both of these. However, he had an opportunity to test drive an ND2 and a K truck and discovered, dun, dun, dun. He doesn't fit on either one. Not even close. Yeah. He, now, so which has got him talking about here. Yeah, but I could pull the seat out of the ND2 and maybe I could weld things differently inside the K-Truck. Ultimately, what you've discovered, and I hate to say it because I'm right there with you, you're too big for these cars. Modding to fit? Newsflash. You're, just, you're too big, yes. Don't, do not mod to fit. That's Don't a new do category. That. Don't do that. Just, I'm sorry. I know we're big people. I feel your pain. Buy a car you fit in. Pretty soon you're I know that sounds weird. Banging out the roof so your head will clear. Yes, I know. Nobody's ever done that. Well, Christopher also yearns for a first-generation NSX, but so does everyone else. <laughs> That's why the prices have gone up. We're all on the list, apparently. Yeah. yeah. 
He'd love to get into something light in rear-wheel drive, but can't afford that Evora GT that he loves. Mm. He's scared of German cars due to too many friends having long-term issues from Porsche to BMW to Volkswagen Group. He's looked at 996s, but now he's looking at a new hybrid Maverick. <laughs> I was looking at 996s. By the way, I drove. I, I got Maverick. the Maverick. He, he said, well, here's what drew him to it. I love small, tight, uh-huh. fun Asian cars. I love NSXs, the light Lotus, the uh-huh. light stuff. Maverick? Yeah, I, I agree. The, the thing that drew him to the Maverick clearly is because the hybrid trick here. For sure. He's gone, this is something that I could get that is going to be good for commute. He would miss having a manual, but it'd be perfect to sit in traffic. I'm going to say this to you, and I know you don't want to hear it, Chris, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. If you're going to buy a hybrid for commuting, you don't get the Maverick. No. You get a, you get a RAV4 if you need something that's an SUV, or you get a Prius. If you're going to buy right, a hybrid right. for commuting, that's where you go, but that's not where we're going. So what is he missing? He can't find a new GR86 to test drive anywhere near him. He thinks the C7 is reasonably attractive outside, but he doesn't like the GM interiors. He can't find a CTS V wagon with the manual because everyone wants them. Yeah, I've heard that story. He almost bought a Volvo V70R, but apparently the one he looked at exploded its fifth wheel bearing. (laughs) I didn't know that was an issue. He said apparently it does it all the time. So there it is. Does he tempt fate and get a Supra? Mm. He does mention Jack and Mark from Savage Geese and their C8 Z06 piece. Yes, he says he wants one. Kind of everybody wants one now. That's what happened with Z06 day last week is we all kind of went, oh, really? Wow, okay. He says he can't afford $107,000 for a car. Really? That's that's not even the starting price, buddy. Sorry. That's the 1LZ with nothing on it. You're not going to ever. Seriously, the way everybody's going to buy those cars. I hate to say this because it hurts me. The way everybody's going to buy those cars, the list on them is going to be 120 and up. Easy. There's there's going to well, be none of those cars. Well, that's for the lower 1LZ, 2LZ. And that's for the MSRP is yes. going to be 120 up. And I'm terrified at what's going to happen with markup on those cars. They're 140, 150 at the low end. Yeah. Well, Chris says it's nearly, it's miraculous, well, that he ended up a car guy. His parents are only concerned with fuel economy and the price of everything because of decisions on how they spend their money. But once Chris started making enough money to buy on his own, he had a long line of manual Civics. <laughs> Five Civics, for those of you not following along, Yes. He says he'd still have one of them if it weren't for the storm that threw a tree across the top of the 89 Civic Si. One of his favorites, yeah. Wow. He pulled the engine out of the 2001, did a complete refresh. (laughs) Wow, you're you're Civic guy. We can't ignore that. But he wraps up his email here and says since he was fired by the last potential minister of finance. So earlier, earlier, (laughs) the intern left the position. That's right. Now he's admitting he was fired. Anyway, yeah, okay. He says it's likely his current dictatorship will continue to exist. So he might as well turn it into a theocracy of horsepower and delight. I like that. That's that's a t-shirt we need. The theocracy (laughs) of horsepower and delight. I'm not sure what the logo is. It's some sort of crown. It might be a throne. You know what? It's the game. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. It's the Game of Thrones throne. But it's done with pistons. Oh yes! Somebody mock that up for me. It's the theocracy of horsepower. And you delight. know, some build show has already built that out of something. That it, it's Car it's parts. all pistons. It's it's what it is. Anyway, maybe a few maybe to get really long. Maybe it's a few exhaust pipes thrown in. But that's that's the throne. I want that shirt now. I do. <laughs> Since Chris doesn't have any dependents on which he would be responsible for, not even a house plant, he wonders <laughs> how much money is too much money for this hobby in our lives. Wow. Thank you for writing. Well written. That's amazing. I want to suggest so many cars from you, but I cannot ignore all the Civics and the Honda love and your love for Asian cars Mm -hmm. in general. And my choices, even though 
they're not the most expensive. They're fun. And mm. it's what we alluded to. They're the middles. Mm. The cars that are not quite the most horsepower, but they're still built to be fun. Fun okay. only. And they're the the hotted up base cars. Okay. If you know what I mean. Like the Civic Si, the 11th generation. You mentioned you didn't like the 9th and the 10th, Chris. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the 11th? Have you looked at it? Have you driven it? I mean, the Acura Integra is pretty much the same engine, yeah, yeah, yeah. same mechanicals underneath. What styling do you like? You got options of style, mm. and it's a great car to drive. The Civic Si is right about thirty grand. Yeah, that will make you feel comfortable about the balance that you're looking for. Yes, commute, good gas mileage, fun to drive. I can take it to the track if you wanted. Mm-hmm. You can find those fun twisty roads that yes. you're looking for. It's got a back seat. It can carry stuff. I don't have to worry about it too much. I can leave it outside. All those things you're looking for, thirty to $40,000, I feel like, is for you the sweet spot. And six-speed manual. It's and funny that you went, went there because I was reading through and I was like, new Civic Si. The I mean, 11th generation. The latest one in mm-hmm. Si form, I think. I mean, we drove, the, we drove it recently in what was it, Sport Trim? Or was it the, uh, it was the Touring? It was the Touring the one. Touring, and, but that and, wasn't the SI. The Touring no, no, no. was a separate one. I know. I'm saying yeah, yeah. we drove it as well in the Touring, and right, it was still right. good. Okay, yeah. the SI is excellent. I especially with your Civic history and the fact that you would you want all these. This is the thing I think is funny. You want all these things: affordable, good for commuting, mm-hmm. new, reliable. Oh, by the way, I'd like a six-speed, which throws the whole equation for most cars. Yeah, but here's the Civic available like that. And I'm suggesting front-wheel drive because I don't know that you need a large sedan. I don't know that it mm-hmm. need it needs to be carry stuff, people, gear, but not too big. True. Well, he likes he likes small. That's the other yeah. key thing is you like the feeling of small. And the Civic Si, we joked about it, is pretty much the size of a '90s Accord. But in modern Amazing. time, it is both small and light, and it drives like it. That's the nice thing. Second choice for you, Chris, is the Veloster N. Oh, okay, such a cool car. Yeah, very cool car. It's easy to drive. It's fun mm-hmm. to drive. It's surprising how much you like it, I think. Mm. And then my third choice is still front wheel drive, but manual. It carries people and gear. It's cool looking and it's right on that balance of German cars. Okay. Even though it's British. <laughs> okay. All right. It's the John Cooper Works Mini Cooper. Brand new. Oh, sure. We did a test drive on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I laughed every time I drove it. Yeah, it's a very funny you car. You drop the clutch and it's just like... <laughs> Yes. It's it's the it's just fun. It's the best quote unquote affordable car BMW makes. It's it doesn't great. have a BMW badge. It's BMW's best small car. It really is. Yeah. It, so no to the Supra. I think you will like it, but it's I don't know that it's for you. I don't know that's that's the car you're looking for. I feel like the Mini Cooper, it's so good. It's fun. That's the whole point, and it's still small enough. Yeah. Mini Coopers have grown, of course, yeah. but I, th- I think that one. And the John Cooper Works, they're expensive now. They're t- the one we drove, I think, was forty-two dollars or $44,000, yeah, brand yeah. new, yeah, so yeah. I know that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it's still practical. I hope it's going to be reliable. Let's say this. It's got a warranty. It does have a, it does it have a warranty. Way. Well done. That's excellent. <laughs> uh, a couple of things to say here, Chris. First off, I think that the, I think that the Corvette is worth a serious look. If you like them... I think it's worth a serious look. If you get a C6 or C7 in Grand Sport trim, you get the best of all worlds as far as interior. It still might not be good enough. I understand that, so it still might be out. I think 
even sight unseen, I think the 86 is a viable option for you. You've circled it. You've wondered about it. You want rear-wheel drive. You want six-speed. You want decent gas mileage. It doesn't get great, get great gas mileage, but it's decent. You want that fun that you can use, and I think the 86 would be great for you, and you would thoroughly enjoy it. I don't know that it's right. I still mm-hmm. think the Civic Si is the right call. I do, too. Yeah. The fact that you brought up the Evora GT is very interesting to me. Because that makes things like the 86 or the, the Corvettes seem viable because the Evora is not a car I would gravitate toward toward when I think about, I'm mostly going to commute in this. I would never think Evora. But you've, you've said here you would get an Evora if you could afford it. Now, I want to follow that rabbit trail for just a second because the GT, yes, is probably out of your budget. But the Evora has been made for a while. Yeah. If the Evora is something you want, go backwards until you can afford it. Don't get first or second year. But if you could get an early Evora S, they went the Evora, then the S, then the 400, then the 410, and the 430, which we didn't really get here. And then they wound up with the GT at the end of its life. And the GT is awesome. Yeah. But so many automotive journalists overlooked every Evora prior. And I don't know why. The Mm. early Evoras Mm -hmm. are actually really good if you really want that car. I don't know that it's a match for what you need, but you landed on it and were like, I'd love to get an Evora, can't afford it. He's still going to be riding motorcycles, I think. I, I don't get the idea he's going to be giving that up just because True. of the free parking and you know the easy pass lanes and just the ease of commuting that it provides. But we're getting into a one-car life yeah. that yeah. can be the do-it-all, and that makes uh, that makes things like the, the Evora and the 86 and the, even the, the Corvettes struggle a bit. Agreed. And so that SI, I think, is, is really rising to the top for me, even though I don't want to shy you away from the Evora if you go earlier. And I think that the 86 and the, and the Vets are worth a serious look if that matches your life. Mm-hmm. Chris, come on pilgrimage with us. You wrote as a postscript here that you want to go. Mm. I, we'd love to get you in a variety of cars. Definitely come with us on future trips. We love yes. going and we plan. Or come plan to the to. Utah meetup. And this is the other thing, Chris, is you, you asked a question about, you know, should I, should I do this? What's the best way to use money in all of this? And, and this has been a recurring comment in this podcast. And I want to say this to you. We are all about spending money on new car experiences that you can own that car for a while and then get rid of it and move on. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're all about that. We're also all about having car experiences. Yeah. So if that means yeah. you buy a car a little bit less expensive, but look at the two or three things I did this year that are car related that I loved. We are all for that as well. And we try to host a few. So come with us. Speaking of getting experiences, Andrew Owen asks us on Facebook, how do you accomplish drive homework? And we've mm. touched on the subject many times. He's talked about Turo and mentions drive share. Yes. What other tricks of the trade to minimize cost and travel if vehicles are not easy to find in this area? If they're truly not in your area, you still might have to travel to a nearest larger city to get involved with various forums. Mm. Sometimes drives are created uh, on there and you know, you'll find some friends that have a particular car there and say, Hey, I just want to drop in. And is there a way I could drive that car? I'm shopping. And usually people like to share their cars and share experiences and introduce you to what they love. Your local cars and coffee and driving groups are a great way to find cars in your area. I agree with that. The other thing, and you touched on it already, Paul, can you combine a drive for fun day into your next actual vacation? Yeah. Now, you might not yeah. go somewhere where it works, but if you do, you go to LA, you go to Vegas, you go to a lot of places that are destination cities, they have a really thriving rental market because they knew no tourists and you can take a day and drive something. Jared Rose one on Instagram says a few weeks back, he and his wife test drove a 2009. That isn't, that is a first gen Porsche Cayenne S 
He had high, high hopes for it. Again, I own the, we own the 2010, my wife and I. He said he got in and thought the interior quality was just subpar. He said, am I a snob or is that a justified response? <laughs> Jared, a couple of things. First off, and I don't talk about this a lot, but I have mentioned it on our long-term uh, Cayenne pieces. Worst steering wheel ever from Porsche. It's awful. Yeah. It's the era of the triangle, yeah. the upside down. Tri- it's it's nasty. It's a little weird. The buttons are weird. The buttons can get sticky. The other thing you don't say here, you drove an 09 Cayenne S, though. Obviously, that is a 13, almost 14-year-old car now. Yeah. yeah. What was the condition of the interior? True. Now, my wife and I bought ours. It was in excellent condition. I and mean, she has been... A, She's excellent about this in cars anyway, but she's been very good about keeping that interior maintained. Ours is held up very, very well. Mm-hmm. And it still looks good, feels good, all of those kind of things. However, that was an era from Porsche where the interiors were nice in a this is well put together kind of way, but didn't feel the least bit luxurious. Look at the the 911s of that era. Look at the uh, the uh, Caymans of that era. If they'd come out of the weirdness, plastic disaster, I hate to say it, that was the the mid two thousand, the early 2000s of the 996 Porsche and the early Boxer. They'd come out of that and they'd reset themselves. Yeah, yeah. So it gets a little kind of clinical, but the material quality is good. However, if somebody doesn't take care of it, it starts to tear down quickly. Buttons have that weird stickiness about them. So what was the, what was the condition of the interior? I want to say to you two things, Jared. That era is not the best era for Porsche interiors but it is massively contingent on quality of, of upkeep. And it also should disappoint you a bit. It's a 14-year-old interior. Actually, at that point, it's 20 years old from design. Matt Gary 82 on Instagram asks, for the name of the design element seen on the front wheel arches of the 1958 Ferrari 250 Testarossa that leaves those wheels exposed. Mm. He rarely sees it in cars. There's a reason. But it's gorgeous when <laughs> done right. He says another car with that design line resembling it is the BMW 507, much more subtle on that car for sure. I love that you're noticing it. That's one of my favorite cars too. And even though the entire car, the Testarossa, could be described as pontoon fendered, mm, mm. the element that you're looking for is the sponson. Ooh. Imagine the front shape. Look at that car now and imagine the front wheels and front fenders are missing. So look at it as if it's a Formula One car. Sure. And you'll sure. see that nose shape. You'll just mm, see the, mm. for, the Formula One kind of shape from that era. And then if you add visually the wheels back on, you think, oh, okay, I see the, the F1 kind of thing going on. And then now it's like an outrigger on a canoe, really, to prevent it from tipping over. Sure, okay. Even yeah. though that's not what it was for in the Ferrari, but they just enclosed those front wheels. As it turns out, since it was to cool the front drum brakes, that's a great idea. And stylistically, it's amazing. It's just really unstable at high speed. So the next iteration, they covered it up. <laughs> That might flop around until it flies yeah. right off. That's crazy. Looks great, not good, and that's why you don't see it anymore. Bob McCormick on Facebook said, do we left foot brake on track day? Did anyone teach us when? Seems counterintuitive to him, but he's heard that some racers do this, typically t- discussing about making a car rotate. Bob, this is a a very extreme, very professional level of car driving beyond, yeah. I would say, yeah. even heel toe. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. It, does it help? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Is it hard? Absolutely. Is it necessary? Probably not. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. honestly, the way you learn this is you, you just teach yourself. 
Okay. And it is, I will say this, I never think about it once on track if the car is a manual. It doesn't even cross my mind. Yeah. Okay. You no, know, you can. And, of course. You know. and, and people that are really good, far better than me, have actually can do it in a manual and it's great. Where you hear about it a lot is guys that are driving a manual and they want to get a front wheel drive to rotate. They will force that rotation with that yeah. left foot yeah. brake. Okay. So, I mean, you can do it with lots of cars, but front wheel drives really respond well to it. The, the thing is, if it's a manual, I don't even let it cross my mind. If it's an auto, like a good PDK or something, I might use it occasionally. My left foot is just not as good at it. Okay, so I, I what here's what's funny for me with left foot braking. I find I'm best at it if I come into a major braking zone because my left foot doesn't have nuance, mm-hmm. so it'll get me all the braking really easily. It's the nuance that I have trouble with, and that's where the right foot is. Just it's it's conditioning, so you, it's going to take some time. However, I don't even think you need to learn. If you want to feel it, Bob, go karting. Yeah. And left foot brake. They're really set up to do it. Most cars are left foot brake because, you know, they're just designed that way. But that's a great way to feel rotation when you're you're coming into a corner. (laughs) Or spin. (laughs) And you're cooking and then start to modulate with your left foot. And you're not fully off the power at that point, even though you might get yelled at by track management because they don't like power on and just braking. But that's actually how you get it to rotate. Yeah. So you're you're modulating that. The other t- times that Todd and I have experienced that was at Rally Ready. Uh-huh. Oh, but that's an time. entirely different way of driving. Mm-hmm. And it they were manual cars, but you ignore the clutch pedal the entire time you're you on the speed. dirt. <laughs> because your wheels are spinning. So yeah. you can leave the clutch engaged in second or third gear. And then by the time you get speed, you're off. When you're doing turns, you're off that clutch at all mm. times. You're on power mostly, but you're turning the car with your left foot on the brake. Yeah. It's an entirely different way of driving. You have to unlearn everything you've ever learned mm-hmm. and then go drive rally cars. We highly recommend it. It's very excellent to understand who you are as a driver and your capability for yeah. learning new things. You turn the car with your left foot, you pin it to the ground, mm-hmm. And then the back end comes around based on the power and your steering wheel inputs. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. You could, you could, you can watch our TV piece on it. It's actually now on YouTube as well. Our rally ready piece is really actually very interesting because it was revolutionary for us. And it was amazing how much you would give steering input. Imagine a quarter turn into a corner. And no. then you never change the the steering again, and it's just the amount of braking that you applied mm-hmm. is how much the car actually turned and responded to the front wheels. It's a completely bizarre thing, but th- talk about a left foot braking crash course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a question here from Facebook. Seth Kleiman asks if we've ever heard a dealer trying to charge a re-inspection fee. A couple weeks ago, I went to look at an 08 Z4M Roadster that was at a non-BMW dealership. When he asked to do a pre-purchase inspection, the dealer said, that's fine, but they that Seth would also need to pay them a $180 re-inspection fee. And after he complained, suddenly, magically, it dropped to 100 bucks. And they, com- they claimed that it was due to insurance and liability issues because the mechanic doing the PPI might screw something up. So he wanted to take it off the lot to a non-BMW or non-dealer mechanic and have them do a PPI. And the dealer's saying, when we get it back, though, we have to recheck it. This is... Hogwash, in my opinion, <laughs> this is a way, a, a new way for dealers to charge more because I've never heard of that. That's dealers figuring out some new thing to get more money out of you. I also hear fear of liability in that, like the lawyers have shown up. I suppose, but PPI is just that. It's in the name. It's in the acronym, inspection. Yeah. There's theoretically no parts being removed from the car. 
it's inspection of parts mm-hmm. and pads and yeah. where you take the wheels off and any, anybody can do that. Yes. <laughs> that to me is not, does not invoke liability. It's not like something had to come unbolted and a part was removed from the car to inspect. I suppose if you're doing a clutch wear inspection, yeah, parts have to come off. So you sure. can look at it, but that's not your typical PPI that, agreed. Most of it is just visual inspection mm-hmm. by a very competent trained mechanic puts it up and looks at all the places and pokes around a lot. That's usually what it kind of comes down to. Yeah. It sounds like a way to just get more money and justify it. Nathan Goles wrote in on Facebook. We actually got to meet Nathan and his wife recently. They, they rolled through town. And so that was really cool to meet him. Uh, he said he, uh, he's asking us about old Porsches, Paul. <clears throat> Hello. He said, can we consider comparing an older 911, like an early 2000s 911 or a first generation Cayman to current cars for similar price? Uh, we have that exact piece coming. One of yeah, our many yeah. pieces on the 86 discusses the 86 happens to, well, the focus of this one piece is not the 944, but a 944 turbo winds up in one piece. And then we have another piece where it's directly put against an ex- a similar cost, meaning low $30,000 range Porsche Cayman S. We've already shot it. We're very excited about that piece. Yes. It is coming. So stand by. Lucas5F on Instagram says uh, he has a question for me. He said his son is 10 months old. And I thought when I first heard this, when I first started reading this, I thought it was going to be one of those questions. How do I make him a car guy? And I was like, he's 10 months old, man. I just <laughs> let, let, him, let him hold his head up and we'll do the basic things here. Anyway, he said, so his son is 10 months old and he started using basic baby sign language. That is really cool. He's just started walking. He's picking up on a number of verbal cues. He said, so he's curious because it's gotten really exciting because communication has begun to happen. So what is a favorite or top three father-son moments when, when Bodhi, my son, was little and we were starting to communicate? I will tell you my all-time favorite. When you have a really little one, all they know how to do is communicate unhappiness uh, they, they, oh, or, or, yeah. or, or happiness. That's literally it. Yeah. They're asleep, they're happy, or they're frustrated. That's, this is the entire spectrum. Okay, so there's various, you might be a tuned enough parent to understand the variance of screaming, but pretty much it's just screaming. They're not happy and it's screaming. And I remember the moment when my son was, I don't know, two-ish, okay? And I remember the moment when I was going to take him on a hike. Okay. Put him in the the baby backpack thing, right? He's like, you know, he can walk, but we're we're definitely going to hike with him and all that kind of thing. And I was in our kitchen in our house. He was, again, he was maybe a year and a half, two years old at the most. And I got out one of his water bottles. And I filled it up with water because we're going to be outside. It's going to be hot. He's going to need water. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I handed it to him. My wife wasn't home, of course, in this moment. I'm standing there by myself. I hand it to him and he explodes. Like he freaks out. And I was like, "Um, it's, I mean, it's water. It's one of your water bottles. I filled it with water. You watched me fill it up. What, what could possibly be wrong in this moment? And he looked at me and he said, hurt mouth. Oh, and it was like, a revelatory moment. It was like oh the, the clouds opened for me. I was like, this hurts your mouth. I can solve that. <laughs> I, as a parent, can get you a different water bottle that does not hurt your mouth. I will go back to the cupboard, son, and I will solve it. Seriously, it was like, <laughs> may, it was the first time that ever happened to me with my son when, when I held this bottle down to him and he freaked out. I was like, what? Hurt mouth. Yes, solvable. It was like, That's good. again, he was like a year and a half. You see Mr. McGillicuddy on Twitter. He wrote us in and actually is defending us, which I think is interesting. Actually, not defending us. He's just backing our play on the Supra. He said he just was in Vegas, and he rented a Supra on a whim. Oh, good. He was like, you guys are right. This car is great. He he, he just kind of like, I'm going to try it. And he was really impressed with it, and he said he cannot believe it. It's much better than he thought. He said he is one of the people that was angry at Toyota for not offering a manual. But, of course, the one he rented was an auto. 
Of course, because they're. That's and he said, if I were in the build. market, I would still be buying the manual. But he said, you know what? This car is much better than people think. And he said, I'm surprised at how great the auto is. Oh. He doesn't understand why he doesn't see him all the time. We kind of don't either, but that reputation is kind of set now, unfortunately. This is what it is. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Write to us with your Topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and car debates at everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. We're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.